Making estakfar is a beautiful way to improve ourselves, vulnerably admit our shortcomings, and seek forgiveness from the most forgiving. In this episode, we sit down with author of Secrets of Divine Love, A Spiritual Journey into the Heart of Islam, A. Halwa, and discuss why estakfar is so powerful and how we can transform our lives by regularly seeking forgiveness from the divine. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Remastered Podcast. I'm your host, Munira Madison, and today I'm joined by a very special guest and author, A. Helwa. Today we are talking about the beauty of Astaghfar. Firstly, thank you for being here today, Sister Helwa. Jazak al khair. How is your week going? How are you going? How are you doing? Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a heavy week because of the things that are happening in the different countries, Afghanistan, Lebanon, and Haiti, Haiti and other places. Yeah. Um, but it also gives a, a reminder um, of who is the one that's in charge, Allah, and, and reminding us to turn back to him. So in that sense, it's been a blessing to have a Lord to take this, um, this place inside too. So I'm grateful for that. Alhamdulillah. Yes. Indeed. And Jazakallah for that perspective. I myself have also been feeling very heavy, you know, this week in light of events around the world. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful perspective. I think that's exactly, you know, why people pick up your book as well. Um, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with Ahelwa, she is the writer of Secrets of Divine Love, a spiritual journey into the heart of Islam, and a blogger who has inspired hundreds of thousands of readers through her passionate, poetic, and love-based approach to spirituality. Helwa believes that every single purpose person on earth is deeply loved by the divine. Her popular blog is at Quran Quotes Daily was established while in school for her master's in divinity as a means of helping others overcome personal and spiritual struggles on their journey of experiencing divine love. With over 15 years of experience writing and speaking on Islam and spiritual development, Helwa draws from her personal experiences and traditional sources to help her readers access divine love in everyday life. Alhamdulillah, that's just so incredibly beautiful. Uh, your book has been on the top of my to read list. And uh, I can see why like so many people are, are drawn to your book, I would like to know, like, could you walk us through the journey of the exact moment when you realized that this book needed to exist in the world? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I would say that um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It felt like it was it was just a moment in time where I was researching and, and writing notes and little blogs and it just felt like it came down like it was like you, you're meant to write a book and man did I uh, did I resist that um, I really pushed against that I was like me write a book I don't I'm, I don't know how to write a long form at the time I I only write poetry and I a book I don't even know what it would be about how would I structure it and all the questions that come when you begin a path and you're not quite sure how to walk that path right. um, came, but it, what also felt like came that came and I talk about briefly in the book is I felt like there was a prayer out there for a book like this. And that sounds like such a strange thing to say. Um, it was only after the book was finished that I felt like perhaps it was an echo of a prayer I made as a child. Um, and then having read this book a lot for correcting it and like an audiobook and stuff like that, I realized maybe it was me in the future who wanted this book. Um, and I say that knowing that the ideas in it, they're not mine. Um, 
I, I think the way I describe it is like, I feel more like a flower picker, <laughs> like a florist, not the farmer, not the seed, not the one who fostered it, just somebody who like took flowers from this tradition that, that, um, that I feel like Allah planted in his revelations and just brought them together as an offering. Um, yeah. In that way, those, those words or flowers are, are just as much in, amazing to me in the sense that they're not mine. So I can be amazed by them in the sense that it's something that I feel like these teachings from Islam are, are um, fragrant um, and continue to give to myself, which sounds sort of odd, I guess, but <laughs> no, it definitely makes sense. And, you know, I was listening to a previous interview you had where you spoke a little bit about this and something that struck me that I loved what you said is that you didn't necessarily feel capable of undertaking this book at the time. Like you just told us you were writing poetry, you weren't doing long form. These weren't exactly your ideas, but you're bringing to light, you know, hadiths and Quranic verses and expounding upon them for others to be able to access them. Um, alhamdulillah, but the idea that like you acknowledged you weren't capable at first, can you uh, kind of expand upon, upon that? Yeah, sure. That's um, a great question. I, I think the way that I kind of in my, in my own mind understand that is that I don't feel like Allah calls qualified people. I think is what I say is that he calls available people. <laughs> and if you look at the tradition that we come from and across, you know, monotheistic religions, if you look at the stories of the prophets, peace be upon them all, their stories are incredible. And yet if you look outwardly, you see that the society didn't feel like they were qualified right. to be prophet, peace be upon them. Like the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he's this incredible figure in history. And yet in his society, in a class-obsessed seventh century Arabia, being an orphan, like that was looked down upon. Like by right. people's perception, he's not qualified. Where is your money? Where is your status? Where is your family? And yet you have none of these things. How are you chosen? You know, Moses, some say, you know, he may have had a list. <laughs> um, he was um, like exiled and yet he's chosen, you know? So I think it, you go down the list and you look at every prophet and you see that they were outwardly by people's opinion, not qualified. Obviously we know inwardly there's like some of the most incredible people to have ever walked this earth. But I think in a way, like we can take a teaching from that, that I don't have to be perfect to be called. I don't have to be perfect to try my hardest to be the, to um, answer prayers that people may have. And when I mean like answer a prayer, like, of course, we're not God. I feel like Allah uses us to answer each other's prayers. You know, mm -hmm. someone make a prayer to be heard, to be cared for, to feel compassion. And I feel like Allah sometimes chooses us to be that face of compassion and kindness mm -hmm. and love. And in that human love or human compassion, sometimes it like fans the flames of turning to God for that ultimate compassion, that perfect love. Right. Um, and so I exactly. think in terms of a revelation in, in the process of re researching this book, that's for me what it was. It wasn't even the content. It was the fact that me, such an imperfect, um, just I feel like a baby on the spiritual path somehow has put into the position of writing this book oh I am not capable um mm -hmm. but in my lack of ability 
it's great because I have only one place to turn and it's not to myself because I'm not capable. <laughs> so I have to anchor my boat in something that's, that's more stable and secure. And that for me ended up being a law. Alhamdulillah. Yes. And this, you know, goes into our topic today, which is the beauty of Estaqar, but it ties in with our idea of our worth in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just like you, you know, I'm a convert or revert, whichever term you prefer, um, of almost five years at the end of this month, alhamdulillah, and been working in the Muslim American space for about two and a half years. And similarly, you know, felt very unworthy uh, in, in certain positions and in certain callings or acts of service, you know, um, partially due to a lack of capability or understanding of that capability and a lack of knowledge, uh, Islamic, you know, knowledge sometimes. So I think, you know, like what you're talking about really connects with our self-worth and how we perceive our worth in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, this book, we were created to sin. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam even tells us that if we were not to commit sin, Allah would sweep us out of existence and replace us with people who would commit sin and seek forgiveness from Allah and he would pardon them. So in realizing one's calling and not feeling prepared or feeling unworthy for whatever reason, um, I think oftentimes we miss sometimes our calling and purpose because we're stuck in this cycle of despair or unworthiness, a feeling of unworthiness. And your book really speaks to that. Um, how can people, you know, reclaim their worth and really understand how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees them? Mm, that's a wonderful question. Uh, I would say it's, um, it's kind of interesting because in reclaiming our worth, right, we have um, Western psychology, which I'm, I'm definitely a fan of therapy and psychology, especially yeah. needed and it helps to process things. But one thing is the emphasis is on the self, mm. self-esteem, self-confidence. It's about the self, which is important. As a teacher of mine says, uh, you cannot transcend a self that you, can, you do not acknowledge. Mm. You cannot transcend a self that you do not acknowledge. So the process does begin with self-esteem, with self-confidence, with a... Um, a re like it's almost like having a new relationship with the self from a place of being healed or um, yeah. integration and then it has this place in the spiritual walking where you're then turning that self over it's like almost all that work you did and now you turn it over right um, like I'm ready now guide me <laughs> yeah right and the thing is about that though so it's it begins with the self however in the spiritual path it is actually has it's not about you it's about Allah La ilaha illallah. It's like everything that you witness, everything that you see, everything that you observe is just a face of God. In the Quran, it says from the east to the west, wherever you turn, there's the face of Allah. So in a sense, meaning that even when you're on the path, even when you're on the path of I'm not worth it, and you're trying to find and establish your worth, Allah's still there in mm -hmm. perfect presence with you. Um, the poet Attar says something I've always found sort of interesting. He says, if you have nothing to bring to the exalted court, meaning to God, fear not. <laughs> he doesn't buy every pious act of self-denial. If you have nothing, he buys nothingness. Because mm. what can you bring to the God who has everything except for your lack? 
Because in reality, what God doesn't have, sounds funny to say almost, is he, he doesn't have imperfection. He doesn't have lack. He doesn't have need. So when you come to Allah with neediness, with lack, with poverty, with brokenness, you're able to receive his healing, his perfection, his mercy. Mm -hmm. So in the con conversation of istighfar, it's like when you show up broken, you actually show up in the exact state. It's perfect state to come to Allah. Not that you can't come to him with joy and healing and all these beautiful things, but just know that in your states of not feeling perfect, you actually, it's a it's a it's a straight path to going to a God who can fulfill every need that you have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for me, that's always been such a remarkable reminder because it means I could show up to Allah in every state I carry. Indeed. That is so beautiful. And again, like what you're saying, you know, coming to Allah in a state of neediness. And that ties back to the hadith we just we just uh, were going over. Um, and so this idea of like not feeling capable and not feeling worthy, but then surrendering, submitting to the guidance and will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and surrendering this need for clarity, but praying for understanding, you know, understanding and a willingness to accept, you know, his, his guidance. But then sometimes people fall into a pattern of despair, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where we fall into a cycle of despair. It's not necessarily connected to how we feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala necessarily views us entirely. It's also kind of our nafs, like we're battling our nafs and our ego in our idea of who we are just like you're saying in like secular western psychology and the idea of self is first you know put first and foremost I mean you divided you devoted an entire chapter of your book you know to toba to forgiveness to understanding this journey why did you feel that this was important to include actually it's funny that you asked this because um when I was looking uh to look to go to a publisher, um, either they said the book is too long. Uh, in fact, they're considered to, to split it in half. Uh, they said it was twice as long as they'd like. Usually books um, being published now are about 160 pages. Mine's about double that. Mm. Um, and so the talks was like, well, you can, you know, can you remove the chapter on Toba? And I always thought this was so funny because wow. that's the return. And, yeah. and, and you, you know, you have istighfar, it's like that seeking of forgiveness, tawbah, repentance, but it's like istighfar, you can do it anytime you seek for Allah's forgiveness. Now, whether you change or not, you could still always seek for God's forgiveness. You're calling out to the merciful. Tawbah is interesting because it's the return. It's mm. not just saying, turning on the, um, you know, the GPS and it's saying, hey, U-turn, U-turn, U-turn. And you're like, I'm going to take a U-turn, but you keep driving straight. It's actually committing to do that U-turn and turn back and get back on course. It has an element of also the word return is so incredible because in, I just love the Quran because it says reminder, return. It very rarely says go out and learn something new. Go out and find God. It's return to God. It's return to the place you've already been. It's not new. It's you carry it, I carry it, whether you're new to Islam, you're new to in your belief in Allah, you carried it even when you weren't on the path. It's kind of like a seed and soil 
it wasn't watered, perhaps still carried its potential, still carries the seed inside. It's not void of that. We may call that the fitra, that primordial essence. You may right. call it the ruh, the breath of God's, this, this um, life-giving divine breath that animated what was dead earth into life. And we call that human, but it's that return. And so the toba is so incredible because it's a reminder that you only have one place to go and that's to God. And if yeah. you return, then that, that place is fruitful. Yeah, in your book, um, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but you you write about a beautiful way to understand the steps of Toba is through the ancient Hawaiian practice of, how do I say that? Oh my God, I always struggle with it. I just call it like Ho'oponopo. <laughs> I'm like, ah, this practice. But it's like- Ho'oponopono, yeah. And what I loved is it said, yeah, it's this powerful chant of repentance and reconciliation. That means I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you. Can you- uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So in this like particular, and one of the reasons I included that, I just say Honopo, which is probably means something totally different, but <laughs> in my mind, that's how I remember it is that it's a reminder that there's so many traditions that have this, whether they're traditions based in nature, um, whether it's, it's a monotheistic tradition, but this concept of return and these stages, mm. you know, like accepting that you made a wrong is always the first stage in turning. And I think sometimes people get so stuck in the shame of that first step mm -hmm. that they feel like, oh my, I can't, I'm so embarrassed. And yeah. they don't turn back because they say, okay, let me like, f let me make this wrong right, which isn't a bad thing to do, obviously, but let me do it. And it comes from a place of, I want to be worthy to be in front of God. But the real reality is, can you ever be worthy of the one who created you? Mm. Can you ever have something to give to the one who owns everything? It's like Rumi says, he says, I, I, it's like bringing spices to the Orient. You know, it's like bringing water to the ocean. I, how it's almost embarrassing. Like, what am I going to bring? It's like bringing gold to the gold mine. Mm -hmm. So in reality, it's remembering that um, this, I'm sorry, this like, return this 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 I love you this bring me back is a reminder that all you have really is your acknowledgement of doing a wrong and everything mm -hmm. else that happens and the pulling and the desire and the longing of return it comes from a law yeah. so that recognition itself just like wow I have a God who loves me this much right. and it that's what pulls you um you know you have Poets across time from Rabaat to Atar to Sadi, all of them are saying, it's like, it's not you, when you repent, it's God who called you through his quality of forgiveness mm -hmm. to begin with. So even when you see yourself turning back from the worst of sin, know who's turning you and it's not you because there's hundreds of millions of people who continue doing sins and never turn back. So right. why are you turning back? Do you have something better than them? No, it's because you're God plucked you, turned you, called you. And that gravity is why you orbit the way you do. Yeah. So it's that calling for that. And that's so beautiful. I mean, like you said, the whole idea of the self-awareness coming to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and saying, hey, this is, this is what I am admitting. He already knows, but it's the act that you're taking accountability for it in, in front of him. And then you're seeking forgiveness actively. And then you're thanking him you're expressing this gratitude 
and you're expressing your love and knowing his love for you. I mean, that's what I saw in that chant, really. And it was such a beautiful uh, connection that you made. Um, but oftentimes we find people, ourselves, others who are friends, they're making sincere istaghfar. You know, they're thinking and evaluating about their lives. Uh, we may have listeners or viewers right now who have said, I, I've made toba, sincere toba, but I wasn't able to step away from what I was doing based on circumstances or where I am or maybe chemical addiction or anything like that. Um, what advice do you have for them? That's a, another, man, you got great questions. Um, you know, I would say that sometimes we're in a crucible mm -hmm. and there's a heat that's, we're in this sort of a fire. And sometimes we have to go in that fire, out the fire, in the fire, out the fire. Kind of like I'm getting a saying is when you dye fabrics, if you've ever been to, you know, Fez or different countries in the world, mm -hmm. where, or, and they just keep dipping the wax and dipping it, keep dipping it until it takes its color. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we keep going to the merciful. We keep going to the one who forgives over and over and over again. And we ask for help. And when we feel we're like we're in a state of temptation or addiction is obviously a real thing. There's it's, yeah. it's a lot of voices and a lot of pull and the brain has its pathways. Mm. Once you've paved a pathway, it's easier to go in that pathway than to create a new one. So it takes discipline, restraint. And I found for me, I know this is like, I'm always looking for a, what I call like a divine hack. <laughs> and for me, that's sadaqah and fasting. Those are the two things I would say, like, when you're really struggling, give. Yes. Give and give and give. Answer other people's prayers. Like, if you yes. feel like, you're like, oh, my friend, like, is really struggling paying the rent. Or maybe there's just a child and they're really hungry and I don't have a lot to give, but maybe I can have one meal. Maybe I don't have money at all. But guess right. what? Smile at charity. Can I be, is there someone I can be kind to? Let me yes. see. Is there a family member no one calls because they're sometimes difficult to deal with? Is there a person that's older and maybe has Alzheimer's and so people don't want to take the time or is there someone that I could reach out to and and reflect a, a divine quality upon I am not God of course I'm not you know but is there a quality of God that I love is it his asami the all here can I lend my ears to someone who's in pain al-basir can I show someone I see them who's desperately longing to be seen can I do that? Can I give in charity? So if I'm struggling to have my prayers answered or my path aligned, can I help someone else align their path? Maybe there's something I don't struggle with. Can I help someone else in their struggle with that thing? And if you, I've noticed the more you put your effort in helping other people and answering their prayers, whatever it may be, in whatever form it may be, that there's a way that you enter into the space of that divine blessing, barakah, of that mercy. And whenever you're in a space of calling for others in prayer, calling upon light, that light changes you. It doesn't go through you to them without affecting you. You know, when the light touches anything, it transforms it. And imagine the light of Allah, what it does. And so sometimes it's easier for us to pray for the prayer of someone else because we're not aware of all their struggles or temptations. We're so aware of our own shortcomings that sometimes it becomes hard to mm -hmm. call for things upon ourselves or to really receive what Allah is sending. And so, so 
there's that deep calling. And, you know, Rumi also says this one thing, which I love, he talks about, he says, your body is like Mary, like the mother Mary or Virgin Mary. And, and then it's like, each of us has a Jesus inside. So, mm -hmm. so if there's a pain and yearning shows up inside of you, it's because the Jesus of your soul wants to be born. Mm -hmm. There is that, that feeling, oh man, this is hard. It's labor pains. So stick with it, you keep pushing. You know, like definitely they tell mothers, like, breathe and keep pushing. And he's like, if there's no pain and there's no yearning, then the Jesus of your soul will return to its origin and mm -hmm. whatever, I think he says, secret passageway that he came from. So yeah. you, the way that, that, that seed inside that's been planted, it kind of hides inside if you don't foster it. Yeah. So you keep pushing and pushing and you trust the divine countenance is with you. Right. And in that trust, you know, like you said, there's this yearning that we have uh, to return to that fitra, the ruh, whatever uh, you want to call it. Um, but the very fact that we may fall into despair, like if someone out there is viewing this or listening and you're stuck in a cycle for whatever reason um, and you're falling into despair, but you're feeling bad about it, you know, one of the most impactful things I, I was made to realize was that in and of itself is a sign of Iman. If you feel ashamed, you know, to take that first step in Tawbah, because it is being accountable in front of your Lord, your maker, your creator, um, it's a sign of your Iman. So just know that you are not a lost cause, like know that everyone is worthy of turning towards Allah. And I think like your book, I mean, part of the reason I think you made that was for like, who did you make the book for? Actually, I have listened to some of your previous interviews, so I'll let you speak to this, but who is the book for? I feel like um, when I was writing the book, I just kept feeling like it, I wanted to remind people that they matter. Right. And that Allah sees them, Allah loves them. And that no matter where they came from, what they've done, who they've been, um, you know, the family or culture that they grew up in, that Allah loves them and he sees them fully and that the path is not walked without God to God. Mm -hmm. The path is walked with God, from God to God. And every moment you're with God. And so I feel like it was just this deep desire of reminding people that they're seen. And yeah. I think a lot of times we overemphasize the rules because the rules in Islam are so important because they're the structure that holds the house. Right. And the Quran's about 3% rules. But if you look at how it's preached, it's almost preached like 80% ruling. Right. But if you look at the prophet peace be upon him and how he shared the message, he began for like 10 years with the heart opening message before yes. really the rules started to come down. I mean, the prophet, he only did one hajj. I mean, we, we, people, there's people who go to Hajj every year, but our prophet himself, peace be upon him, which is like amazing, you know, beautiful, mm -hmm. but it's like he only went once. Like the idea that he was living the truth in every moment, yes. in every reality, with every face, that it wasn't confined to a prayer mat. We mm -hmm. go to prayer because it's that place we're charged. But once you're charged, you walk into the world as a prayer. Right. And what does that look like for you? Um, so the question really is always asking yourself that. Um, and so for me, the book was written for anyone who's, who's looking to walk with God and, and, and as a reminder that they're loved. And so as a consequence of that, 
I actually, you notice that that stamen didn't have Muslim in it. Of course, it's a book about Islam, so it's for Muslims, but because the intention was just, I feel like everybody internally is surrendered. So much of us is surrendered to Allah, which is like you know, definition of being Muslim. And so it's for everyone in a sense. And so that's part of the reason why people of other traditions and religions have read it because of that point. I think there's this human desire in us to have connection with Allah and to be seen by him. So true. SubhanAllah. I mean, this, you know, we, we predominantly work in youth work with mass youth ministry. And what we have found, you know, with our youth is the way that we are teaching uh, Islam, the way that we are, pro, you know, providing programming is really this emphasis on the rules, which, like you said, are very important. But we are lacking the emphasis on the meaning behind those rules or practices and the these stories the anecdotes that we can learn from the stories we can learn from and like you said that dose of love and that dose of hope uh in a previous podcast episode we speak to the idea of you know hope and fear uh you know imam ghazali's bird where of iman where you have a wing of hope you have a wing of fear but the head of that bird is love and that's exactly what your book is really, you know, encompassing. Um, and when we come to astaghfar and astaghfirullah and like uh, toba, you know, we see that so many of our youth and community members are really just turned away from the dean or the community, even before they get to that point where they are even interested in, you know, really fulfilling toba and seeking out out different connections. So what can we do in our communities? How can we approach these topics in a way like even teaching Toba, even teaching Astaghfar? How can we revolutionize kind of the way that we're presenting this? Hmm. What a wonderful question. Um, you know, in our communities, there's two things that I, that I see is, is false perfection, hmm. right? Not being vulnerable fact that we're human so when you have a community leader or imam or speaker is always talking from a place of never really making mistakes Mm -hmm. and and that false perfection makes people especially the younger generation feel like you don't know my struggle right you came from a middle eastern country where you went to a man men only woman only school you came here at 35 married with four children you have no idea what the reality i live in so there's a sense of, and then all you've been speaking about is the highest of ideals, which mm-hmm. is all true. All of that's true. I love that. I read this. I love reading. I love that stuff. However, it doesn't make it relatable. Right. So but if I see you vulnerable, if I see you say, this is hard, and I had a tough time in these ways, I'm not saying broadcasting all your mistakes. I'm saying to be vulnerable to, for the possibility that you're not on a pedestal. Because if you step down from that pedestal and you're on the same ground as the people, then you'll be able to look in each other's eyes and say, I see that this was hard for you. And I see that you're turning back. Mm-hmm. And when you start with people from a place of, I see you. Like when we say, enjoin what is right, the Quran says, and forbid what is wrong. But we love to flip it. Well, forbid mm-hmm. what is wrong, forbid what is wrong, forbid what is wrong. Haram, haram, haram. And it's always casting judgment before you've ever enjoined what is right. right. You're going to comment on the hair that is out 
at the mosque before you comment on the 18 year old showing up for Friday prayer. Like that ordering makes people feel like they're alienated, like they're, they don't have. And so when people want to correct, it's become so, so correction based. And Mm -hmm. so for people who are, Hey, I want to have a connection with God and, and I'm trying and, and they want a space for that as a community, we have to begin with, Hey man, it's hard. It's not easy. And I may, you know, do all my prayers on time and do the extra things, but I struggle in between those prayers Mm because life happens in between those prayers and being honest with, and for people to know that if I make a mistake, I'm not outed. There's this feeling that you're out, like, do this, these things, if you do, you're out forever. Good luck. Right. And that doesn't make an environment of wanting to worship. If I put a gun to your head and I said, you must love me, you cannot love me. You can't foster a feeling of love. Out of fear, you can say you love me, but can you create love like you can't? You can't, you can't be coerced, which is why in the Quran it says there's no compulsion in religion. Right. right? There's no because you cannot force someone to love. And because Allah, it's to, the purpose of our existence is to know, love, and worship God. You can't get to worship if you don't have love. You can't worship something you don't love. And you can't love something you don't know. People need time to be attracted to that. And so if in the knowing process, we spoil it for people like, you don't pray, you're going to hell. You know what kind of people go to hell? People don't pray and you're not praying. So that's where you're going. It's like, whoa, like that doesn't make anyone want to go to the prayer mat. Exactly. Exactly. You know, before when I converted, I actually the very first Muslim event I attended was an an annual retreat with the Center for Muslim Life, Maryland. And that was the first place I was surrounded by Muslims. I could actually like say I was Muslim. And I was so shocked to hear that they all didn't pray five times a day. Mm. Because like you said, there's this like perceived perfectionism. And I just had this idea. I don't know why. I'm a very rational person, but I had this idea, like once you're Muslim, you prayed five times a day and all the Muslims that I saw who were practicing Muslim prayed five times a day. And I was so behind. And that put me in this loop of like not feeling worthy. But because I came to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very experientially through his love and mercy directly, like subhanAllah, I was, I already had that as a foundation instead of all the rules. Now all the rules, they came piling after I uttered the Shahada, right? Sure. (laughs) But the first time I noticed that like people didn't pray five times a day. And like you said, that vulnerability, we need that in our communities because it really inhibits a lot of our young people and older people, like intergenerationally, it inhibits people from really being able to step up in their communities and really engage in the way that utilizes their skills and talents and enables them to answer their calling from Allah. Because we as people are judging so much, are upholding an unrealistic standard. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I feel like, um, yeah, it, it sounds like your your experience was was natural. You know, it was like the way that actual revelation when it came, it came to the heart. Yeah, you know, I studied political science with a focus on the Middle East. So I studied Islam from an academic perspective for a very long time. And I lived and worked in Jordan for nearly seven years. It wasn't until I returned to the States and was completely alone and just was like reverse culture shock and reevaluating everything. And really at the bottom that the most bottom I could be 
that I felt a calling and I felt this desire to to reevaluate my spirituality and I ended up at this conference following a music ensemble which wow. was an Islamic music ensemble was to an Islamic course? conference El Fardals yes nice. <laughs> exactly and that's where I made the intention to convert so alhamdulillah I'm so grateful that my experience was very experiential and that I didn't go through you know how I learned, you know, Christianity growing up necessarily, or how I see us teaching in the massajid and the community centers, because like you said, the perceived perfectionist standard, and also the way that we emphasize the rulings and the practices without infusing it with that meaning, which your book does so well, infusing things with meaning and stories that we learn from. You know, you went into this beautiful story when you first started uh, one of the chapters on forgiveness. And I heard it very early on in my in my journey. But if you would share it with us about the, the guy who went to the monk, perhaps. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, there's a this, this story of a man who had, a, he had a murdered 99 people. And so he went to a, a scholar and he said, you know, I murdered 99 people, will God forgive me? and or to a monk and will god forgive me and the the monk said no he's not going to forgive you and so what did the what did the man do he, he killed the monk so now he's with a hundred on his list and he goes to a scholar and he says i've killed a hundred people will god forgive me mm-hmm. and so the scholar says well it depends you have to leave this land and go to a land where the environment doesn't call you to the things that you've been doing that are not beneficial for your spirit, for your soul, and honestly, for people, since you keep murdering people. Right. And so he says, you know, head to this land. And so the man says, okay. And so he grabs his stuff and he heads towards this land of, of a community that's practicing and living in a good way. And in his journey, he, he dies. And so then the angels of, quote, wrath and mercy come and they fight over his soul. And that the angels of wrath are like, this man has did nothing good in his life. He literally has done nothing good and he killed all these people. And the angels of mercy come and they're like, yeah, but but he repented. He had a genuine repentance and he he acted on his repentance. He head out to this to this land of good people. And so then the kind of the story goes that God sent, you know, a, a mediator in the form of a human being who to to measure the space to figure out if he was closer to the land of the good people or the land of the bad people. And he, it turns out that he was closer to the land of the good people. And some narrations say that God actually stretched the earth in his favor. Um, and so that the angels of mercy took him. And the, the point of the story isn't to say that there is an accountability. There is justice. There is accountability in this divine way that I could never understand. The point is to say that you are never hopeless that no matter what your story is, you're not hopeless. I've been in rooms. I go to prisons. There's like prison program. I'm in, I'm like, I care about a lot with this book. We yeah. created a course and like in prisons, in cell block D where everybody is a lifer, meaning they're going to spend mm-hmm. their life and die in prison. And when they tell you the things that they've done, there is murder. There is rape. There's things that are hard for your mind, to com- for my mind to comprehend. And yet this person has genuinely spent the last five years transforming their life. 
turning it to God, working on themselves. They know they're going to die in prison, mm -hmm. but they know that they're free in their mind, that there's no bars in their heart when they turn to God. And I remember one of them turned to our group and said, guess what? You guys are in prison. I'm like, how do you mean? You're imprisoned by the world. Yeah. We know the world's gone for us, but you, you will struggle your whole life to fight against the prison of this world. Mm. <laughs> wow. You know, and it kind of makes me think of, um, there's a, uh, there's a poet, his name is Hadakani, and he says, this is like a very funny story and it's poetic. So got to take it with metaphor, but you know, he says that um, he heard a, a voice from beyond and it's, you know, oh, Hassan, you know, do you want me to tell people everything I know about you? So they stone you. It's like this divine voice or whatever. And he says, kind of answers back to God. Oh, God, do you want me to tell everyone um, what I know about your loving mercy and forgiveness? Everything I see from your generosity? Because if I do, uh, no one will pray again because they'll know how forgiving you are. And then the mm. voice of God answers, you say nothing, I say nothing. <laughs> it's, it's this sort of funny kind of funny way that this poet is trying to get across the fact that our God is so merciful. Now, this is a very um, worshipful person, stays up all night praying and does all the requirements. And yet he's speaking to the fact that God's forgiveness is beyond anything I could even earn <laughs> in this sort of hysterical way, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It makes you think about it. And I mean, going back, I just, what you just shared about your prison outreach, it really hit me, honestly, the, the, that we're the ones in the prison that they, they mm. know already that they're in there for life. They're able to focus, I guess, on the, uh, the next world, not this dunya. Um, do you, do you happen to have any anecdotes from going over this book in your prison outreach uh, that would speak to why Astaghfar is so powerful, perhaps? Mm. Well, it's actually, um, when we started it, uh, we sent out a, we, we have, we started with a hundred inmates mm. and started with a beginning sheet. It was so profound with their responses to, you know, do you feel like God's forgiven you or how do you feel? And, and, right. and when they write their stories about how they got into to the system, into the system, it has to do with not feeling like they were good enough, right. right? And not feeling like, and then once they turning to spirituality, not feeling like they're worthy of turning to a God, like, yeah. like it's almost like, do you know the things I've done? Right. Like, no, Helwa, you wouldn't say that if you knew the things that I've done, if you knew the hearts that I broke, if you knew the lives that I've taken, you would never, you would never say those things. And so suddenly it's like, man, this is like real pain. And, and when you actually look at Al-Ghafar or Al-Ghafur, it's like, even in this, this meaning like the God, the forgiver, it's in, in the word itself, Al-Ghafara, like it's to cover, to shield, to protect. Mm -hmm. Even the one who has all these scars, these battle wounds, these, um, this track record, right? and yet, it's gonna cover. He's, uh, I think it's a soldier's helmet, like in Arabic. It's it's mikfar, like that which provides protection. It is a covering, um, and so that essence of forgiveness being that God covers your sins, cloaks you with His perfection, so that you are, you can step into His presence. It's actually pretty interesting because, you know, in Christianity, you have the blood of Christ, right. the, the concept of Jesus died for your sins. 
and that that death is like this the sacrifice of the lamb blood to cover you so that you could stand before the perfect god and so islamically tauba represents that um instead of the sacrifice of of a human Mm -hmm. being it's it's the tauba it's like that um you're turning in forgiveness that god's quality of forgiveness itself (laughs) makes you worthy of standing before the forgiver Uh, and it's this sort of incredible um it's just like linguistically, it's even incredible aside from the experience. SubhanAllah. And I mean, that's just so powerful hearing about the prison outreach you're doing, knowing that this book, knowing that anecdote that you told about the man going to the monk is in this book and you're using this book in your outreach. May Allah place barakah in your efforts and your team's efforts. And uh, may we all keep those who are struggling and who are incarcerated in our da'as, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also this idea that, oh, I'm so sorry. This idea that we, um, I just lost my thought. I'm sorry. (laughs) You'll have to edit that part, but yes. Uh, We spoke about the prison outreach, but then there was something else you brought up. It's just a plethora of rich anecdotes and experiences and knowledge that you're dropping, um, subhanAllah. Let's tie this back and for the the average listener out there um, who may be viewing or listening right now. Brother Amr, did you want to interject? Did you want me to stop or I was just continuing? I'm sorry. Okay, we'll go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I saw him unmute and come up. Okay. All right. So going back, Sister Hello, um, we're we're wrapping this up around now. I just I'm sorry I lost my my train of thought on that one last point, but we'll continue. Okay. No worries. <laughs> so Subhanallah, it's amazing the work that you're doing uh, in prison outreach and also just you know reminding everybody that no matter where they are in their journey whether you are someone who is practicing and praying five times a day and you've read, you know, a tremendous amount of books or whether you're somebody who's just, you know, interested in Islam or you're somebody who is feeling unworthy right now, right? Um, There's such a beauty in how the book is outlined and designed and that it's very accessible. There's ways that it really infuses our practices and all of the uh, fiqh and hadith with meaning how can we find beauty and meaning in astaghfar itself and in his remembrance hmm. well i um the beauty that i think comes from um turning to god or returning to god is like um is like a plant really taking in that light. And I, mm. I think this example for me has always been interesting is that, you know, seeds are buried or planted deep into the soil of darkness. And yet they grow out of that darkness from a light that they do not see but feel. That there is a support in the unseen that raises them towards the heavens. As human beings, we are the same, that our um, the difficulties that we come across, that they raise us, that they pull us. And then when we 
you know, the seed shatters for it to be raised. And so the, the breaking that happens, the things in our life that are, that are painful, the things that hurt, they actually help to pull us out. As is one mystic says, he says a diamond must be cut before its light can shine out. Mm. Right? And so the cutting that happens in life, in our turning away, in the mistakes that we make, when we turn to God, it, it, it's, it's like a polish. It's mm -hmm. like, it's these clear cuts. And, and, and in a way it's like this, this uh, one poet also says, it's like the lightning comes and it burns everything between you and Allah. Mm. Like allow it to scorch everything. And so part of the beauty of, of Tauba and re the return is that you, you let go of everything in the way of every idea you have. A lot of times we have a perception of what we want to get to. And so in order to get there, we sometimes go off track. We sometimes sell, sell short our principles. Natalba yeah. is returned to the purpose in which you were created, which is to know, love, worship God, which is to be a representative of God's quality, which is when following the role model of the prophet, peace be upon him, to be a mercy in this world. And so whenever you're confused, whenever you're stuck, go out and be a mercy for this world, whoever they are. If they're Muslim, if they're not Muslim, if it's a child, if it's an elderly person, it's you go into the world and you, and I know I said this before, but it's like really going into the world and answering prayers. Yeah. Make it your life to, to, to reflect divine qualities upon others and your life will become easier because as the prophet, peace be upon him, says, Allah shows mercy upon those who show mercy to his creation. So if you're calling for God's mercy, if you want a realignment on the path, then you go and guide people. You be a compass. Or as Rumi mm. says, you be a lamp and a light. You be a lighthouse. Walk out into the world as a shepherd. Um, and so I think for me, the real beauty of istighfar and forgiveness is that you're reminded that you are whole because God covers you. Beautiful. That you are complete because of his perfection. And when you realize that, you show up in any state. Because right. remember again, your lack calls his generosity. Mm -hmm. Your poverty calls his richness. Your um the spaces that you offer allow for him to fill. And, and that's really where our relationship with God, I think, happens. Beautiful. SubhanAllah. And it's almost as if we came full circle because at the beginning of this, we were talking about self-worth or we were talking about feeling worthy in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to even answer his calling uh, for what he has planned and how that really, really uh, requires a level of self-awareness, a level of connection with our creator, but also that level of knowing that we will always be a little unprepared, right? We will always be broken. We will always be sinners. We are humans. And that is exactly why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to come to him. You know, the fact that like, you know, our astaghfar and our toba, it, it's not like we will reach this point of perfection, right? That is unattainable. 
And that's mm-hmm. not what it is meant for us. So alhamdulillah, you know, jazakallah khair, Sister Halwa, for being with us today, for joining the Remastered podcast to impart your experience, your knowledge, your insight. This has been a really beautiful conversation. I almost got lost in what you were, you were saying. You know, I could speak with you and listen to you for quite some time. Jazakallah khair for joining us today. Thank you so much, Munira, um, for your... Um, your beautiful questions, like mm-hmm. it's so apparent, the heart that you bring to the things that you do. I could feel it across the screen. Uh, and I and I know that it's not just an outward beauty that you carry, but there's this like really deep inner beauty. And I, my prayer is that Allah can continue to guide you in, in the paths that he's paid for you and that he can make the things, the secret things in your heart easy for you to carry and that every knot that you come across, that he, that he opens it for you and that um, continues to use you as a representative of gentleness, mercy, love, and subtlety and beauty. Um, and I'm just grateful for the ability to have been sitting here across from you. Um, Likewise. Um, Likewise, you know, even without seeing you on screen or anything, the condition of one's heart is transferred and even virtually, subhanAllah. So I mean, that is, you know, our prayer for all of you who are listening and viewing as well. And, uh, you know, if people want to know more, if they want to follow you, where should they be following your work? Um, Of course, Secrets of Divine Love, go pick it up. It's definitely a must have for any anybody's library. But where else can they find you, Mr. Helwa? Um, yeah, you know, uh, if you go on www.secretsdivinelove.com, you can access okay. the book in different places to find it. I'm also on Instagram as Ahawa or Quran quotes Dewi. Um, okay. Definitely connect there as well. Um, so at Ahawa and at Quran quotes daily, and then go to secretsofdivinelove.com and find out where you can find more resources. Do you have resources such as the program that you developed for prison outreach or anything like that available? That's a great question. I actually am trying to work on getting that file from them. Um, We're going through some of that, the content that was gathered. um, And I'm hoping to actually share some of the things because some of the incarcerated Muslims have said that they they want their information out and shared so people can know like oh. their, the, um, the things they face and the story that they've lived. So I'd love to share that at some point, um, yes. inshallah. And if I would, if there's, you know, prayers that you guys can offer for these incredible men and women, they're so incredible, so inspiring. Um, please keep them in your doors, inshallah. Definitely, inshallah. So we'll be on the lookout for any other resources that are coming out. Visit www.secretsofdivinelove.com. And Sister Helwa, Jazak al khair once again for your time, for your du'as, for your insight. It has really been a pleasure speaking with you today. To all of our listeners and viewers, this thank, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Um, make sure like you find us on YouTube or you find us and you subscribe on Apple Play. And follow, you know, all of our episodes that are coming up. This is Munir Madison with the Remastered Podcast signing off. Until next time. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.